Hello and welcome to Get Me Another, a podcast where we explore those movies that followed in the wake of blockbuster hits and attempted to replicate their success. My name is Chris Iannacone and with me, as always, is my co-host Rob Lamorgis. We are the two who are one. Oh boy, <laughs> the two are, oh, that's, that doesn't bode well. Uh, this is episode three of our Get Me Another Conan the Barbarian series, and with us today is a very special guest returning to the show after back-to-back appearances in our Get Me Another Halloween series, Ryan from the New World Pictures podcast. Welcome back, Ryan. Thank you for having me back. I brought my bow, and it's magical, <laughs> and it will kill off tons of people with one strike, so... I'm ready to go. It's amazing. It is. It is. It is a technological marvel from a uh, from a prehistoric age. Uh, as we've mentioned before, we're big fans of the New World Pictures podcast. For those who might be listening who are not familiar with it, can you tell us a little bit about it? Uh, sure. Yeah. It's um, as the name might imply. We are talking about every movie released by New World Pictures, and that includes New World Video, New World Television. We're doing the entire as much as we can because I find new movies almost daily um, that I didn't know were New World. But we're we're talking about every movie released by New World Pictures. And uh, we're also trying to talk to, as best we can, we're trying to talk to some of the people behind the scenes that made these movies, that were responsible for these movies. Because when you watch a lot of New World movies, you can't help but want context. And as, we, as we'll discuss today... <laughs> yeah. No, you do an amazing job with interviews... Like the, the the you're able to find people and get them for inter. I mean that is something that it's it's just incredible. And you have some some incredible interviews uh, with some of the the key creative people of of some of these movies, and it's great. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. That's kind of you to say. Uh, we we definitely have gotten very lucky. Um, that's not to say that everybody has said yes, but uh, we've reached out to a lot of people, and some people have reached out to us. Oh wow! And we're like, hey. I worked at New World Pictures. I want to talk about it, which is amazing and so cool. Like we are, I don't think we ever started the podcast thinking we would be the torchbearers for this long dead movie studio, but we kind of are. I love it. Which is very weird, but I love it because- It lives forever in our hearts. <laughs> it really <laughs> That's does. Right. That's right. It really does. Mm-hmm. It's uh, less cool than canon, but it's still... <laughs> well, they're siblings, and and uh, you they know, are, there's, yes. it's you guys in the canon canon. You're doing, you're doing, you know, you're doing such great cinematic work. I Thank love you. it. I love yeah. the the you know just the chronicling of of uh, all these films, and, and some of which I'd seen, some of which I've not. And and your podcast is really for the movies I haven't seen, really. You know, it's like, oh, I now I want to watch that. Now I want to go find that movie. We don't accept blame for that. We don't accept blame for that once you see it, Chris. <laughs> if we if we entice you to see some of these movies, that's not on us. <laughs> I I hold you responsible and in, in a great way. It's it's I think it's terrific. It's a gateway drug. Next, after a couple of New World Pictures uh films, then you're watching snuff films before you know it. It's oh my all god. There, there, might, there might be a Vestron or two in between, but but you know. Sure. Uh, our first film today is, in fact, a New World picture from 1982. This is Sorceress. Out of an age undreamed of. An age of swords and sorcery. An age of demons, dragons, witches, 
comes the adventure of a sorcerer sworn to conquer the world. And mighty magical women warriors are given the power of sorcery and the fighting skills of the masters. Innocent twins seek revenge against the sorcerer and discover one must die. and a battle to control the entire known world. Swords and Sorcery. Sorceress. Sorceress is a really interesting film. Let's, let's start with who made it, or at least who's credited. Because uh, the director's name in the credits is Brian Stewart, but this is in fact, as I understand it, a pseudonym for Jack Hill. Yeah, he took his name off the movie. Oh, it, that's it, now Jack Hill had a long, long Hollywood career. I mean, he was first he was a set designer and he was an art director on movies ranging from The Jazz Singer to Captain Blood. He designed Sleeping Beauty's castle at Disneyland. That's right. Which is mind-blowing. And he later directed films uh, such as The Big Dollhouse, The Big Birdcage, Coffee, and Foxy Brown, all of which featured Pam Greer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Sorceress was the last film he directed, and apparently quite a trial. (laughs) Yeah, he uh, was not happy with Corman uh, and never worked with him again. And unfortunately for him at the time, he really didn't have much. There was nothing on his name, and in terms of like people knew of him as the creator of these movies. It wasn't until later, and he would he would even probably credit Quentin Tarantino. Oh, interesting. For being the person who sort of illuminated that Jack Hill was the one who did, you know, Switchblade Sisters and Foxy Brown and those things. But at the time, he right. got no credit for it. I mean, he certainly uh, helped Pam Greer break out. Absolutely, um, who was a secretary at new world who then was cast into uh, the big dollhouse. And then, you know, he worked with her a bunch and obviously she's a supreme talent. So that's why she became so successful. But um, Jack Hill did not, he did not, uh, he did not also get that same success and had to start like writing movies for people just to try to make a living. And that's why he almost directed the bees for new world pictures. Oh, that's interesting. Was replaced on day one of the shoot. My God. Um, because uh, Alfredo Zacharias and his dad were producing and they were shooting it in Mexico, much like Sorceress. And uh, on day one, they said, well, because of the union, you, you we have to replace you. You can't work for the union out here. So he wrote the movie, was about to direct it, cast it and rehearsed with the actors on day one and was replaced. So he was so mad about that, which is crazy. Yeah. And he was so pissed about that experience that I don't know if he would have worked with Corman again, but he just needed a movie to, you know, he just wasn't getting that credit, as I was saying, for those previous work. So he needed a movie. So so Corman hires him to do Sorceress, um, knowing that Conan the Barbarian was on its way. But obviously not knowing what it was going to entail or what it was going to be about. And so he employs Jack Hill to write and direct uh, a ripoff, you know, which which Corman loved to do. He would do stuff in advance. In fact, The Bees was also a movie done in advance of another movie called The Swarm. So he he was just like seeing seeing things. He just did that his whole career. Seeing the tea leaves, seeing what's coming up. What can I rip off? Jurassic Park. 
you know, all these kinds of things. Well, uh, was it Rollerball? Uh, you know, gave us Death Race two thousand, which actually came out slightly before Rollerball. Right. Yep. Yeah. And I wanted to ask because Jack Hill, you know, had had said that he wrote this script. The script is just his, and yet it is credited to another longtime Corman collaborator, mm-hmm. uh, Jim Winorski, who's made one of my favorite films, Chopping Mall. Yes. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Um. But uh, what what happened with that? Uh, he did write an initial script. And as as it often happened for Jack Hill, I think the same thing he did on Big Dollhouse, um, where the script was written by somebody else and then he completely rewrote it. So in in a, um, a book I got about Jack Hill, he talks about uh, Wynorski taking credit and he thinks it uh, was morally incorrect of Wynorski to take any credit. He says that he calls it utterly shameless violation of filmmaking ethics for him to take any credit for as a writer because he did not write any of it, according to Jack Hill. Wow. I will take filmmaking ethics for 1,000. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the Daily Double. Has to be. <laughs> and this is not the last time we're going to see Wynorski's name in some movies later in this series. And, and, and Bob, he's, this is not, this is not oh, the yes. end of the Wynorski train. Uh, and of course, the film was produced by the legendary Roger Corman. Yeah, um, he he produced this one. He wanted to make this one. This was one he he had targeted because of Conan the Barbarian. I mean, this is why it's perfect for this series. You know, at that point, he was making all these movies in Argentina, and that's one of the movies he made in in there, including the Deathstalker, the first two Deathstalker movies, and like a he was just going sword and sorcery crazy at that point. I think that was maybe I'm wrong. That this might be post Conan coming out and being a success, but he, he once Corman found himself in Conan ripoff territory, he went all in. Yeah, I I I can tell I can tell our listeners this. This is not the last Roger Corman film that we will be uh, talking about on this series. It is the first, but it is not the last. Uh, and there was some conflict about where this film was going to be shot. Originally, Corman wanted to do it in the Philippines, apparently, uh, and then Portugal, and then and then Italy, and apparently they landed on Mexico. Although later, you know, later Corman sword and sorcerer films would be uh, shot largely in Argentina, beginning with Deathstalker. But apparently, uh, Jack Hill not happy about Mexico. He doesn't say this in uh, this interview in this book that uh, Callum Waddell wrote about his career. But he does say that once he found out they were now switching to Mexico, which I believe he was in Italy, and he was happy to go to Italy because he thought, okay, great. The problem with Portugal is that they didn't have an actual movie industry there, so he had right. no one to support him. So he was like, I don't know what to do. And Corman was like, shoot, just shoot everything on the beach. And he thought like you could hire polo riders to you know just play guys on horseback (laughs) and he was like yeah that's not how that's not the movie i wrote so it's not gonna work so then he goes to italy and he thinks okay there's an industry here so by the time he goes to mexico there is an industry there and i think he was very pleased in fact dune was shooting down there at the very same time and at one point i believe they moved all of their stuff out of a studio so that dune could shoot in there and they were supposed to shoot in there so it was a bit of a, a bit of a mess but i can only imagine that jack hill was a little nervous to now then go to mexico considering the last time he'd gone to mexico to shoot a movie it was the bees and he got replaced on day 1 but he did not get replaced on this one he ended up he ended up re- replacing himself with the fake brian stewart uh, the movie stars lynette and lee harris as well as bob nelson 
David Milburn, Bruno Ray, Anna Desaad, and Roberto Balestros. And before we get into the story, I have a question. Mm. The film is entitled Sorceress, but I could not really figure out who the sorceress was. There doesn't seem to be a sorceress. Yeah. There's not. There's not. This was an uh, a old Corman trick that he would do with with movie titles, <clears throat> where he would go to high schools and he would say, "What would be your favorite title?" I believe he did this for like <laughs> Forbidden World too in the same year. And you and so Sorceress was the title that won out as far as the kids were concerned. They and they would rather see a movie called The Sorceress or Sorceress. I think it was called barbarian sisters or something like that it was i think the initial call was when wynorski wrote it yeah i think the barbarian women which that that fits i can buy mm-hmm. that you know which fits. I, mm-hmm. even if it was sorcerer i could see it because there's a sorcerer there is a sorcerer yeah but no no sorceress no no there's <laughs> um we begin with a chase where at first, and this I thought was really interesting opening of the movie. We we don't know who what's going on. It's very confusing at the opening. Very unlike later in the film, where it's crystal mm-hmm. clear mm-hmm. what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, that is that is true. Uh, we soon learn that the evil wizard Tragon is chasing down the woman who bore him a child. I'm not going to say his wife because I don't think that's ever really made clear. But Tragon intends to sacrifice his firstborn child to the god. Calgara as part of a ritual that will make him all-powerful, that will, quote, even the gods will do as I command. Um, but the mm-hmm. twist, of course, is Trigon does not realize that he had twins. And it's just, it's really interesting. This movie just kind of shoves you right into the action from the off. Which I like. I mean, just start me out. There's no, like, voiceover. There's yes. no the kingdoms of blah, blah, blah. I'm actually a fan of starting this way. Uh, and so much comes out in this opening scene with Tragon. He's got he's got three, three lives, lives, which I want to come uh, back to because by my count, he only spent two of them. And and well, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that because Tragon's three lives are a thing. Um, what I think is particularly interesting in this in this uh, in this opening setup, we've seen a lot of movies so far in the movies we've watched for the series where you have a baby being spirited away from danger. Uh, shortly after being mm. born. We saw that in The Beastmaster and Ator the Fighting Eagle last week. Um, but this is the first time we've actually seen a child taken to protect them from their own parent. And that is kind of dark, even for these movies. Yeah, and you combine it with kind of a Statue of Liberty play <laughs> uh, going on yes. with the baby. Yes. And it's fan- It's actually, I will say, I totally did not see it coming. It's a cool move. Uh, oh, and I guess uh, you probably already said it, but yeah, spoiler alert. We're going to spoil the hell out of this movie. Yes. Yes, we're, we are. <laughs> I, I always forget. We we are, we traffic in spoilers here for movies that came out in the early 80s. They, the, good, the, the good thing about a lot of the New World movies, though, is that you almost can't spoil them because some of these are so weird. Like, this one's so weird. It's like... Yeah, we'll tell you a lot of the plot points, but honestly, we're not going to spoil anything. This movie's got too much weird shit going on. You, you'll you be fine. You can listen to this and then go watch it. You'll be fine. Yeah, it's like it's like spoiling a rave. You can't do it. <laughs> yeah, just let the drug take hold. <laughs> yeah. You'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
<laughs> Trigon demands to know which of his which of the children is his firstborn because apparently the secondborn, even by a few moments, is not good enough for Calgara. Uh, and to get his answer, he has his minion bring out the Talon. The Talon is this terrible-looking weapon that looks like well, uh, it looks mm. like a bird's talon. Although I'm not sure what just an ordinary sword wouldn't have been different, but it, it does set me up to think that Calgara is some kind of bird god, and we're going to get to how I feel about that because because uh, that is a twist later. I, I there's a lot of things. I was ready for a bird god, and I didn't quite get it. No, no. It, it also looks a bit like a garden claw, so it also kind of <laughs> looked a little bit like that too. So it could have also been a god of weeds yes. or something, you know. <laughs> Um, and just as things are about to get hairy, Corna shows up and takes out Trigon's men. Where this guy was from the get-go, I don't know. He is, I'll be honest, Corna annoys the hell out of me because he just shows up at, at like, it's like he couldn't show up five minutes ago. Yeah. And when he reappears later, he's apparently oh, yeah. uh, in the very beginning at the last at the last stages of his usefulness as a human being, because by the time 20 years passes and the girls are older, he is like, I'm old and brittle and worthless. The last oh, bit of yeah. vitality I spent trying to kill Trigon's men. Now I'm done. I'm spent. Um, the mother actually puts the spear in Trigon's back. And that's when we learn that he's got three lives. So he'll be back. Um, yeah. When the moon is in the house of the dragon once more, he shall come again. Um, so basically, Trigon can return, but not for a while. And in the meantime, Corna transfers his power to the twins, who he realizes uh, and, are girls. Uh, is it is it Corna or Crona? It's Crona, and I've been saying it wrong the whole time, but we're not going to re-record that. It's 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 Crona. It's Crona. Corna. I, 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 what am I what yeah. am I talking about? Um, <laughs> we cut nothing here and get me another. We cut nothing. Nothing is ever cut. Yeah, too lazy. <laughs> But uh, let's just call him Jesus Maharishi guy, because that's what he looks like to me. And then that's very plain as day. Yes. Crona uh, says, and I quote, they are girl children. Girl children. Ah, the sport mm. you gods have with us mortals. But never mind, warriors you shall be. And then he touches the kids and they start glowing. And it's the whole thing is so profoundly weird. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, we 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 have adapted girl children as a line that we say in the podcast quite often because of this movie. As <laughs> well that you is should. to us phrasing that we will never forget. Like that is really <laughs> terrific phrasing. Girl children. Like I just why that was I don't know. I don't I guess that's Jack Hill. I don't know. I don't know who wrote that. That's just great. What a wild line. Um but we love it. Rather than train the kids himself, he just he goes to this farmer and his wife and just drops off the kids as like foster children. And you know, because I guess you know, you know, Crota couldn't have his style cramped by raising two kids. You know, he's got he's got shit to do. And I like in this movie, most of the time they drop him off and the the baby is just accepted. He actually Crona says, "Oh, and I'm going to bribe you to do this," which is very realistic. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, they're they're not quite the Kents. This is not the Kent no. No. family. <laughs> now, he tells the adoptive parents to raise the two girls as boys. And this is a major sort of plot thing for this movie is that the, is that the two girls uh, are actually raised as boys. Now, the way that plays out is, I'll say, curious. Because it, it seems that not only 
where they raise the twins to believe they are boys, but that there are no genders whatsoever. In the in in the book, Jack Jack Hill says like, is asked about this. Like, did you think that like beautiful girls raised as boys was going to work or be accepted by an audience? And he said, audiences buy into things that they want to buy into, and this was just typical of the liberties taken with comedy, <laughs> which is like kind of an amazing admission. And also, I think probably a good reason why Corman took the scissors to this film, because if you say something like comedy, but this isn't, you know, Corman doesn't like comedy in other movies and other genres. If it's a comedy, he's okay with it. But if it's a this is a sword and sorcery movie, we don't need comedy. And he cut like 20 minutes or so out of this movie and uh for lots of reasons but uh that he did that but uh that 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 it was an interesting answer to me that also said oh he thought he was making a comedy which i think he also the last line of this movie indicates he thought <laughs> this was much more of a comedy yeah you know there's several lines throughout that, that you couldn't cut that simply are laugh lines at this point there's a time jump which is so cleverly disguised i didn't quite realize it happened like, because it's you're going into the the the, um, the the exterior palace area, and you have the evil princess Delissa, who's bringing back Trigon after his his time in the void or wherever he is. And I didn't quite realize that time had passed at first. And it was like, oh wait, this is actually, you know, this is actually the, the here is the time jump. It's not like the wheel in Conan where you see him getting older. Is Delicia the sorceress? Did we just, yes. did we just I, solve I the title? It, <laughs> I, I she seems like his number two, but but she doesn't seem to do any magic spells except bringing back Trigon, which I, I get the impression he had arranged for his own return. Like you know, he had to wait for the moon to be in the the house of the dragon, you know, as one does. Well, I guess minor sorceress wasn't a very good title, so they maybe kept that from. Honestly, it's a fantastic title. <laughs> Some kind of sorceress, maybe? Low-key uh, sorceress. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, oh, I want to mention, Delissa has a, a monkey assistant, uh, who is, is not, yeah. the, not the most convincing monkey, I, I think. But he's very important because he plays a much bigger role than I ever expected. Uh, I do really like this, yeah. the outdoor palace scene. Like, that's a really cool set. Like, it's it, there's something evocative about it. It's one of... Uh, it's really, it's nifty. It's much more convincing than the city set, which we'll get to later. But I really like the outdoor palace, by the way. Yeah, I think those are just all sets that were already there in Mexico. I know they had kind of had things already sort of set up because they'd had several productions and stuff there. So I don't know if that was all created. Of course, they would use all these sets, I believe, time and time again for all the movies they did. The yes. sword and sorcery movies. No, no, not because that's that's in Argentina. I take it back. The Argentina one, we, you definitely see the same set. Yeah, and the same footage. Uh, constantly, as if you're talking about the Deathstalker movies, they repeat footage constantly. But uh, yeah, I think those sets were probably already, you know, prefabbed, essentially. Uh, a girls grow up into playmates Lynette and Lee Harris, who we get our first look at in this movie as as they are swimming naked in a stream, in a, in a, in a, in a pond. And um, I, I want to talk for a minute about what, what we would call male gaze. Uh, because I think this movie is the most male gazy film I've ever seen. This is male gaze, the motion picture. That seems to be something that Jack Hill was very good at doing that Corman clearly liked. Yes. Because that is, that is such a Corman element. 
to kind of have that. He, you again, I probably have said this before. I say it all the time, but one of my favorite uh, Corman lines that I heard, I think it's on the, um, the death race 2000 uh, commentary, but he basically talked about boobs being the, the, the cheapest special effects there is. And I just think that that sums up Corman in such a amazing way. And um, certainly these women were cast purely uh, for being beautiful twins. They had been on a Larry Cohen scripted movie called I, the jury. Oh, sure. And that's how they were recommended to Jack Hill. And so that's how he hired him, but he did not realize that they had fake boobs. And that was something that I think, I don't think Jack Hill loved. And then one of them, I guess had gotten sick and lost a lot of weight. So she lost a lot of weight, but obviously not in her chest. So he was trying, he used a stunt double for a little bit of uh, the back shots just to make sure that she didn't look so thin, I guess, you know, he clearly was worrying a lot about how they like audiences are going, hold on a minute. (laughs) Wait a minute. I've been assessing all the nudity here and I have some issues, <laughs> but she doesn't look like she's a warrior. What are you doing? Yes. <laughs> have to have to fix that problem. Now, when we are first introduced to uh, the, the adult Mira and Mara, uh, they are being watched by a creature. That's a satyr named Panda. I'd like to talk mm-hmm. about Pando for a few minutes because mm-hmm. my goodness, it's pure nightmare fuel. Yeah, he's and he's a real horn dog. Like he is the wor- oh my easily God. the worst member of this group. Like useless and uh, horny as all get <laughs> as all get out. I don't I don't know what Jack Hill was initially hoping for. Of course, the actor that ends up playing it, I think, is a local actor, but he wrote the part. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Sid Haig and Corman wouldn't pay Sid Haig's rate. So Corman had worked with uh, Sid Haig, you know, on a bunch of stuff, including more recently galaxy of terror at that point. Um, But he just wouldn't pay Sid Haig's money. Apparently Jack Hill wanted more name actors outside of the twins. He thought there was going to be more name actors in the film, but Corman wouldn't pay for anybody. But Jack Hill says he wrote Pando for Sid Haig. So, Take that for what it's worth, because I don't still know what that means. Well, uh, well, well, wait a minute, because Pando doesn't say anything. I what does know, that mean? I don't know. I I don't know. It is such a, like, the whole character is so baffling, and the fact that he wrote it for, specifically for Sid Haig, clears up nothing about that character. Nothing. No, and it looks like every time he's on, every time Pando is in a scene, I feel like the direction given was, and now look like you're orgasming because it's just like going crazy every time. When you're on a great adventure and you have to pause and say, hey, buddy, could you stop jerking off? Like, that's not a good member of your group. You know, he is an unnecessary part of your your group. And and lest lest anyone think we are exaggerating, the first time we see him, we know he's horny because the two twins who have apparently no no understanding of male anatomy and because they think they are boys, they ask, what's he carrying between his legs? Is that a weapon? Thank God they didn't show Pando's dick because I swear to God I might not watch another movie at all. I might be like done. And, you know, because I'm like, I'm not sure I can handle you know, the, 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 the satyr penis. And thank God the movie doesn't go that far. I don't know. I, Uh, I'm curious. (laughs) 
It's okay. This is a safe space. It's all right. What if he? It looks like a mace. I don't know. I mean, it. Oh, I don't know. I'm. I just. I'm curious. It's. It's hard for them to talk about it and have us not see it. That's what I say. But I hear you. It would. It would probably give you nightmares for sure. It already is nightmare fuel enough, as you said. Oh, Pando in his face! I swear to God. <laughs> um, and here we get the familiar scene where the village, in this case, it's the family farm, is attacked. We get some sexual violence from the attackers, which is played super casually. Yeah, too casually, but... Uh, and it was like, oh, wait, oh, but, you know, uh, they're they're having their way with your daughter. Like, the other daughter, the natural-born daughter of the of the farmers. And then Mara and Miri show, show up to kick a little ass, although it's too late to save their adoptive parents and sister. They're going, you know... And, and my favorite part of this is here we get... James Horner's amazing yeah. Battle Beyond the Stars score for what will be dozens and dozens of times throughout this movie. Yeah, this is another point of contention for Jack Hill outside of things we'll get to later. But the fact that um, the movie was edited down and the the story was unconfusing, he also thought this he thought in general that Sorceress was going to be a much different production and was going to be a, a production that Corman cared about and so the putting in of pre-music which I think there's some like humanoids from the deep cues there might be a piranha cue and obviously the the one the most notable and the most recognizable is the battle beyond the star score absolutely which Corman of course used all over the place space raiders being one where it's clearly he's regurgitated it all over that movie and and, uh, and others many films because it's so good it's I mean, you know, you recognize it and you get into that Instantly. music. I mean, it's hard not to. Yeah. And so and he owns it. So Corman just repurposed it. But like, not only do I recognize it from Battle Beyond the Stars, because Horner used that as like the template for scores ranging from Star Trek 2 to Aliens. Like you could see mm. all of the DNA mm-hmm. for, for those great James Horner scores in in Battle Beyond the Stars. Like it's it's the, the Rosetta Stone for James Horner. <laughs> But like that that main theme, I'm just like, and sometimes it doesn't feel appropriately used here. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. It's just something that he owns, so he threw it in there. And But it's, yeah, it's not. And I think that's why Jack Hill was so pissed. He was like, you're just repurposing music. Like, he really wanted this to be a big movie and, uh, you know, to, to kind of help set his career back on path. And here's Corman just cheaping out with music and not even getting an original score. So that, that was a huge... Uh, you know, bone of contention for, for Jack Hill. Uh, we get the return of Pando at this point, as well as his buddy Balder, who is just there, just too late to do any damn thing whatsoever. Um, we know that Balder is a Viking because he's got this big horned helmet um, and a giant red beard, and he says things like, by Ragnarok. So you know he's a Viking. Uh, and if you think Baldur's too late to be useful, Krona shows up one more time after things have already gotten too far. And he claims the kids are important, but shit, man, he's never around. Yeah, this is where I think you get a little taste of like Lords of the Rings because Baldar looks like uh, the the dwarf character played by John Rhys-Davies and uh, later. And then, you know, when we have Krona, uh, he's basically like Gandalf who would show up and just be like, hey. You need to go on this quest, but I got other shit I got to do, so I'm going to disappear for a while. And so you get a little taste of that because Krona shows up here and is like, I'm out. I've set all this, everything in motion, <laughs> but I cannot take part. So I'll see you guys around. Best of luck, everyone. He does tell them that the secret to defeating Trigon is knowing the, the secret name of the Almighty, 
which he then t- like I thought for a second I'm like oh that's what this movie is going to be about is the quest to find the name of the Almighty but then he just tells oh it's Vidal uh, and it's like oh, okay okay there you go well dude if you knew the name that could defeat Krona the whole time to defeat Trigon the whole time just use it like why did he use it before but no in fact. We, he just he, then he goes off and walks into the fire, which is great. So we don't have to listen to his fucking bullshit anymore. Yeah, maybe that was a deleted scene where we saw him. That's what he was off doing the whole time. He couldn't raise the girls because he had to f- discover the uh, the secret name. Maybe there's a whole there's a whole side story oh, to yeah. be done there. We can't even begin to understand wizard stuff, guys. Like there's wizard <laughs> shit is so dense with stuff that they have to. do. We can't even begin to to understand it. You know, it's. Like we're dealing with algebra and that's physics, you know. So um, they do need one more member of their party, and that that is going to be mm-hmm. Ehrlich the Barbarian. And where do we find Ehrlich yep. the Barbarian? Anybody want to throw that out there? Because uh, you know, it's 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 us in every city. There's a kind of street where he's sure to be found. Yeah, he's uh, he's sort of at the brothel, right? Isn't he basically? And he's he's yeah, he's at the brothel. Lots of, lots of women there. He's cheating at gambling with his weighted dice. Yeah, he's got weighted dice. Two serpents are the ones that that's that's going to be the winner. He the the most successful thing he does in the entire movie is is he stays oiled up the entire movie, and I that that in and of itself you have to tip your cap to because it's amazing that he stays that oily yeah. throughout the entire film. And, and everybody everybody in this movie is an idiot because they they, they would the movie wouldn't work if the characters were smart. Um, nobody you know everybody's surprised when Mara and Miri reveal themselves to be you know girls. It's like, well, wait a minute. Uh, but what I don't get is, like, I can understand Mara and Miri being raised in such a bizarre, insular environment that they don't they don't know the difference of genders. But not everybody else. Baldar wasn't raised in that. You know, Ehrlich wasn't raised. Like, And they're like, wait, you're girls? I'm like, dude, you just bit a hooker's ass. You know the difference. Yeah, they accept that, like, oh, we know something they don't. This is delightful. And instead of being like, you, you are now the torchbearers of letting them know what indeed their sexuality is and you need to kind of help them out here but instead they're just like yay we they don't know they're girls this is wonderful so like doesn't look good on them (laughs) no it doesn't um there's a whole sequence in the middle where mara and miri are captured there's like a firstborn test to, to reveal which one is the actually the firstborn and then everybody promptly escapes to the forbidden forest and then, and this is very important, Princess Delicia sends her monkey assistant to go recapture the twins. And because they need the firstborn for the ritual, she promises the secondborn to the monkey assistant. And this is important. First of all, it's like, you know, obviously promising for sexual purposes because everybody is super horny in this movie, including the monkey. Uh, but but it's it, the, 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 this promise is a key point. Uh, which leads us to the amazing scene where you have a group of monkeys attack our heroes and uh, and and with smoke bomb fruits filled with laughing gas because that whole sequence I, I, I it's amazing. It's a little bit Wizard of Oz in the which you I had know, the same it just, thought. It just feels yes. like the poppy fields, uh, and then I guess the the full monkey costume too is making me uh, feel that way. But uh, it's an odd it's an odd bit. Yeah, they don't really they don't cool. have the bellhop hats. Yeah. Not, not since Schlock have we had such an an incredible monkey costume that is so blaringly 
not a monkey at all. Like it's just it, it's 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 one of the charms of this movie that you're like that is Absolutely. the worst costume. Uh, and then we get we get the scene where they're the, Mara and Ehrlich are recaptured, and um and and Ehrlich is tied to a pole covered with grease, where he is sliding down the pole, and the and 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 the stake is going to go right into his ass and and execute him, and that's. Uh, that is a terrifying method of execution. He is saved at the last minute for because they they discover that he is of some ancient blood. And I have no idea what that means. I don't get it at all, except that apparently he has to have sex with Mara before she's sacrificed. Yeah, just a sexy just a sexy plot point, you know? <laughs> There's no right. reason I mean, I guess, for any and- of that to have happened. This could be some of the lost scenes that Corman cut out where that we understand what this movie lacks rationale in in so many ways. And this being a major one, but maybe that was covered at some point and shot, but we'll never know it. But, But Jack Hill apparently says that there is no there's no version of the original like that. That original is lost. Lost to time, according to Jack Hill. It's, so, it's tragic. I mean, it's just. But tragic. I, someone starts scouring, and, and unfortunately, in Mexico, he, he said that there was a an explosion on this Mexican set that they that they actually had in their film vault because they didn't understand how oh to uh, house nitrate film, which is combustible. So that's why. So of course, whether or not. So whether so there was an explosion as 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 a, as a result, and so whether or not there is some uh, full unedited version of Sorceress lying in a vault somewhere in Mexico, or if there was one and then it blew up, I don't know. But <laughs> I would love to think that some at some point we get the the full version. That's amazing. We uh. It's around this time, by the way, that we're given the piece of information we hadn't gotten before that Mara and Miri can feel what the other is feeling, like the like the Corsican brothers. Uh, they can yep. they can yep. feel each other, and so therefore, and folks at home, you may see where this is going uh, because Mara and Ehrlich are going to have sex, and uh, Miri is going to feel all of it, and it is. I mean, honestly, if there is one scene that sort of sums up this film, it's the it's the the sex by proxy thing. I never saw that with Tomox and Zaymont, the 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 Crimson Twins on GI Joe. They never had that scene on the GI Joe cartoon series. Yeah, this was something that Jack Hill had from the beginning, and you, this <laughs> felt like a Jack Hill moment that he had, you know, in his back pocket. Much like, uh, I think it's what, Coffee, when she has razor blades in her afro. Like, there's always, there's a moment of each one of his films that is just like, just, you cannot forget it. And that, this is that moment where you're just like, wow, dude, this, this, you know, this is, this is, I think, a scene that Jack Hill, probably when he thought of the idea, was like, and they're going to have this Corsican Brothers moment where she feels the other one having sex. Gotta have it happen. And it. It produces my favorite line of dialogue in the whole movie because uh, well, Baldar notices this happening. And at first, they're wondering what's going on. He figures it out. Pando's yeah, freaking out. Pando, well, Pando's doing more than freaking out. But uh, but Baldar, he's like, yes, that would be Ehrlich, that amorous pup. Um, an amorous pup is a, is a such a chaste way to describe what is actually happening. 
Uh, and then, and then Pando's about to do terrible violence. And well, my, oh. one of my fa- it gives Balder has one of my favorite lines in the movie from around the same time when Pando goes off. He says, "Well, let me know if you find a cold river." Um, now we're getting ready for the final battle. Yes, and and, and Mira and Baldar are they're sucked underground as they as they approach the palace courtyard. Um, which puts Mira out of Delicia's monkey's assistant reach, despite the fact that she was promised to him. And this leads to the big lesson, the big takeaway from Sorceress. Do not go back on a promise to a monkey. It will not go well. Uh, Because the monkey assistant immediately turns on his mistress and actually goes and brings the Ehrlich sword to Pando and, like, switches sides then and there. Uh, and you know, then you have a sequence with Bar, uh, Balder and Mira encountering mummies, which kind of feels like a late addition. Um, and then you have the sacrifice going on topside. I'm shocked that Mara was not naked for the sacrifice. That was that was the most surprising thing in this movie. Yeah, that's a good call. I mean, when Corman actually shows re- shows restraint, like it is something where yeah. you're like, "Wow, how did you restrain yourself in that moment?" You know, like how did? You- well, I mean, Corman wasn't there. If Corman was there. That would have that would have that would never have happened. She would never would have been clothed if Corman had been on set. Uh, yeah, it's I, I do really like there's the, they the, one of the things I really like in this movie is they have that Aztec calendar type thing telling you as as like the sun moves across the thing telling you what you know what the time is is it the hour of the dragon and one of the icons the icon for for Calgara it's it's like a vulture which again fed into my oh this is going to be a vulture god. Um, mm. and you know, thankfully both the twins remember the almighty's name. This is amazing that you put that much into this God. <laughs> you were like, oh, it's going to be something so amazing. I really thought we were going to a vulture bird comes God. the bird God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really and, you, <laughs> and what you got. Oh no. <laughs> like I can't imagine your disappointment. <laughs> you were like, gearing up for bird god and it like oh i'm so excited for the fucking bird god and i just and then and but then you, they remember the name vital they speak the name and and their god shows up as this winged lion who's shooting lightning out of his eyes and i'm like oh perfect that the bird god's next to in order to fight the lion god the bird and the lion god and then you know uh, the the spell is broken on mara the, uh, you know the the, the you know the Tragon grabs Delicia and sacrifices her because I guess at that point anybody will do. And and then what what I get? What do I get? Calgar appears in the sky, and I'm expecting a giant bird god, and it's a chick, a disembodied chick's head with half prosthetics on her face. I'm like, what am I looking at? Yeah, Chris, this is this is not <sighs> a movie that cares about explaining things. This is all id. And if they want a weird lion guy in the sky, it's gonna happen. If killing a princess means that she's a giant floating head who spews green explosions on the ground, so be it, my man. Uh, and if those two things fight each other, even oh. better. This is uh, this is uh, pure cinema, my man. It's amazing. But no bird god. It, I mean, it no is. Bird god. It is. But, you know, you know what would have been pure cinema? The lion god versus the bird god that I was promised. 
I was promised yeah. by the inherent iconography that was embedded in this film. That's it's not something that I know, but whether or not you were right and there was an imagined bird god to begin with, I don't know. But I will say that Jack Hill did this movie not only because he wanted to add to his reputation or build his reputation, but he also thought because he had his own special effects studio, Corman. That started with right. Battle Beyond the Stars. And they actually even worked on right. Escape from New York and other movies. So he, Jack Hill was promised that he was going to get good special effects on Sorceress. So he said, great, I'll do it. And then Corman, of course, cheaped out and did not do what Jack Hill wanted. So I don't know if he initially was going to have a bird god or what he had in his mind or on the script. But... Clearly, what happens at the end is either frustrating if you had built something up in your mind, like Chris did, or just, to me, was just pure delight because what the hell was that? (laughs) And how did anyone think that was satisfying (laughs) in any way? And I love it for that so much that they were like, good enough. I mean, we have... A winged lion <laughs> puppet in a way, and then a disembodied head, and that sounds good. Like it's so, it's so amazing. It's one of the best parts of the movie, in my opinion. And oh, it's for just, sure. And it's from, as you said, this series of wild events. It is. It is amazing. It is. It only pales by what I had built up in my mind. Oh, I'm yeah. a sucker. I, but I, so I, many things were uh, so many things were happening that are so weird and wild and the zombies oh, yeah. and and Princess Delaria and all this stuff happening and then that's that's up in the sky. That's what our ending is going to be like wow. <laughs> that's that's why this movie has like just continued in our hearts ever since we watched it early on in our podcast. It's amazing. It is amazing. I mean, yeah, we we didn't we barely mentioned the mummies. The mummies who are are like his his trump card who then to get distracted by the virgins and start to carry them off and and of course Baldar who is you know who's our our who's the voice of the yeah. people at this point, you know, is like, "Oh, you know, they've been buried a thousand years." <laughs> What do you, he what barely do you does any fighting. He does almost nothing. He's he just nothing. He's just there to deliver one-liners. <laughs> That's all he's there to do. <laughs> uh, Trigon is is going to be killed. He's going to be killed by Mara and Mira. They they shoot arrows in his back. Um, it's not quite as effective as when uh, as when two arrows. It's not quite as effective as that moment in Lord of the Rings when uh, Boromir gets it. But yeah. Um, yeah, but this is his second, this is his second death. Only the second time he dies. But, but they never address that. So uh, again, this is where legacy sequel, the return of Trigon, Trigon's revenge. 20 years, 20 years later, right? Like that's when we get the moon in the house of the dragon or whatever. Like that's when, you know, so we got 20 years. Exactly. Exactly. At the end, of course, we end, Ehrlich appears with Mara and Mira on his arms, and we end on a sibling threesome joke. Yep. Well, my lad, is it one enough for you? (laughs) Never forget, Baldar, these two are one. So he may be the father of both of their children. And they all laugh. (laughs) They all laugh! (laughs) It is. (laughs) After what you just saw in the sky, and then we end on that corny... (laughs) You know, TV, you know, sitcom kind of ending line. It is like, wow, 
wow. This Honestly, I'm surprised it didn't end on a freeze frame. You know, sometimes you can be as as being the like I said the forebears of the New World Pictures podcast or New World Pictures at this point. Sometimes you can be a tad embarrassed, but in this one, you know, we're very proud. We're very proud of this one. It's glorious. It really makes some choices. It's glorious. <laughs> it really is incredible. Well, I'll say this: uh, the, the the this film's tone is what it is the whole way through. Admittedly, yeah. That that's the thing that when we were when we were discussing the we 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 were discussing the bees. The thing about that one is that I also felt like they because Jack Hill didn't direct uh, it. The tone of it is really uneven. So even though Sorceress right. was really chopped up, um, as Jack Hill is you know sort of disappointingly admits that it was chopped up by Corman. Like you said, the Rob, the the tone always remains. It's that is consistent throughout. Whatever was chopped out, I don't know. But boy, did it stay consistent in terms of its tone. I have to mention, I think I, I, I think that this movie, you know, because we've been talking about these movies in the context of movies that came after Conan the Barbarian. And I think this movie is interesting in that it has, thematically, it is the exact opposite of Conan the Barbarian. Whereas Conan, Conan over the course of that film comes to realize that the gods aren't real and all he can count on is his own will. This movie is exactly the opposite. Nothing you do matters, and it's just going to be two gods fighting in the sky. Both. And free love. And free love, Chris, yes. Yeah. And, and I'm just like, hey, you know, I was promised a bird god. For God's sake, I was promised a bird god. <laughs> I, I love how much you had that built up in your, in your mind, this one. I love it. Yeah, this again is it's because this was never uh, this was never made this wasn't made before Conan but made while Conan is being made. They you, it, it's amazing to put next to Conan because boy, are these two different interpretations of what a story like that would be, you know? Um Absolutely. Clearly they knew nothing about they knew nothing about Conan. I they knew nothing I think about uh, the you know Robert E. Howard, I mm-hmm. believe, is isn't that the guy? Who no, yeah, Conan? Robert E. Howard so was the I, creator I of Conan. Yeah, they absolutely they didn't know his stories. I don't. They did not like. They were like, let's Conan's getting made. Let's make something like it. But they didn't yeah. know anything that they were going to do because man, this is such a wild interpretation. Like you could even say Beastmaster, which also was made without any previous yeah. knowledge of what Conan was going to be. But that's much more like in keeping with what that movie is. Yeah. Sorceress is like a wild stab in the dark and does not get anywhere near what Conan tries to do. It's kind of incredible. And and like I said, this will not be the last uh, Corman produced uh, sword and sorcery film. And, and the tone that he has for these pictures, you know, it's funny because as we get into the 90s and you get and, and sword and sorcery kind of moves to syndicated the realm of syndicated television, the tone of Roger mm-hmm. Corman actually becomes more of the dominant tone than sort of, you know, John Milius's Conan, which has just completely different. So it ultimately his is the yeah. tone that wins in this in this particular genre and it's a very it'll be a very oh we have a journey in front of us man and i'll tell you that we're just just getting started well sam sam raimi sort of takes sam raimi takes 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 care of all the 90s uh sword and sorcery stuff so when you have sam raimi sort of uh you know in charge of that you're gonna get you know sort of that more and again, the 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 Corman style, which Corman didn't particularly want, which he didn't want lots of corny humor, but that's what he ended up with, you know. And this, 
uh, certainly in Deathstalker 2, like, you know, you get a lot more like goofiness that I don't think is what Corman really wanted. I think if a Corman really got what he wanted is probably more the original Deathstalker. That's probably, right. you know, in my humble opinion, probably more of what Corman was thinking about these types of movies. If you thought Sorceress sounded like the most profoundly weird movie that we were going to talk about today, well, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because our second film today is Lucio Fulci's surreal fantasy epic, Conquest. From a place beyond time comes a terrifying challenge beyond imagination. Conquest. Two men join forces in a struggle for power in a realm of fear. Conquest. An act of courage to conquer the Queen of Darkness. They faced the armies of evil to win the weapons of light. Feel the power. Accept the challenge of Conquest. Conquest was written by Gino Capone, Carlos Velasio, and, and Jose Antonio de la Loma. It was produced by Giovanni Di Clementi and, of course, directed by Italian horror icon Lucio Fulci. And, I mean, some of Fulci's horror experience is on full display with this movie. Oh, he's coming off of a like a, an epic amount of movies that are well, like are completely in the horror genre. And, you know, he's coming off of Zombie or Zombie 2, uh, The Beyond. Uh, uh, did he do... Ma- uh, w- w- yeah, he's... Uh, I'm trying to remember... Uh, the House by the Cemetery. House by the Cemetery. Um, uh, and so he has like... He is coming on... He is like on a string of like absolute classic horror films that Fulci has made. And now he's thrown into the sword and sorcery genre on a script that he didn't write and had no part in, which is unusual for him, but even in that stage of his career, but he's making a real pivot here because he'll go on and make like a, uh, warriors of the year 2072. And he, he does, he starts going right. into different genres at this point And then like dips back into Giallo only for murder rock, but like a real wild, you know, plucked into this period of his career where he was so, you know, making just nothing but nonstop uh, horror films. And then he makes this and you can't, it can't help but have some of his horror flair in there as well. And uh, I I like to think of this movie as the boxer's omen of sorcery flicks. Yes, I had the same thought. I was like, this reminds me of the boxer's omen. It is just so bonkers and on point yeah and and, and i also want to do a personal confession uh, and you just heard us talk about sorceress uh but every now and again and i i do the same thing over and over with these series where i will go x number of films and i really will talk almost nothing about like the visual direction or the style and i i start to go wow i'm getting super lazy <laughs> and then 
we hit a movie where I'm like, oh, Lucio Fulci directed this. And I notice I'm writing down all of these visual things. And I'm like, oh, it's not me being lazy. But um, <laughs> it's it's when it happens, like the, the opening of this movie. Oh, my God. The opening of this movie is, is the double else. exposure that's going on. Yeah. And you've got, you know, and, and, you know, setting up the sailing to the to the sea and all of this. It's just so visually striking from the get go that I was writing stuff that, uh, you know, I haven't written for, for a few movies in this series. Uh, I got to confess, I had never seen this movie yeah. before this week. And and this was my mm. first time experiencing it. And, and holy shit, it is just something else. Like it is, um, I mean, that opening sequence, we have this opening sequence on a beach and where a young man, Ilias, is given a magic bow by his father and he embarks and goes out into the world. And, and there's a couple interesting, th- first of all, narratively, there's an interesting distinction that unlike every protagonist we've encountered thus far in the movies of the series, Ilias chooses to leave home. He doesn't have that home ripped away from him. He makes a, a, a point to go as part of a rite of passage. And the whole thing is shot in this dreamlike, like for a second, I wasn't sure if there was something wrong with my TV. I was like, is it, is it like, it's this dreamlike thing where everything has this super soft focus and kind of coming in and out and i'm like it it, this whole film is so it 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 sits it you get it's like a it sits on a like a clown on your brain and it it, i've not been able to shake it in the days (laughs) since i've seen it and it's um it does it does it has a magic it has a magic to itself you know yeah it really does if if you want if you're thinking you want to watch it and you haven't seen it yet because it is for and for a long time it was this one of those Fulci films that was pretty hard to get a hold of you know so thankfully now it has been re-released on Blu-ray and there's it's a lot more accessible now but before it was very and 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 cleaned up as much as it can but you have to prepare yourself with a couple things which is that do are you okay with a copious amount of smoke are you okay with that are you going to be okay with that and are you okay <laughs> With the sun looking right into the lens of the camera, often are you going to be okay with these things? And lens I think if flares. you, are, oh yeah, yeah, if you are okay with these two things, you are in for a great ride with this movie. And yeah, visually, oh, it's really storytelling wilds. It's just a another wildly imaginative, perhaps confusing uh, movie that perhaps. is just you know has. And again, like you said about Sorceress, edited to just go it just rolls from one thing to the next never slows down it is perpetual motion this movie to that point uh ryan this is a movie and this this could sound like it's a backhanded compliment it is not meant that way i just want to say this up front this is a movie where if you are in the moment with 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 whatever is on screen you're going to love this movie Mm -hmm. um it -hmm. just whatever is there in the moment there, there are some dream logic and, and things of that nature. Uh, just don't, don't worry about that. Just roll with this ride, and I think you'll have a good time. Yeah, and if you are not familiar with some of Fulci's like more visually, like you know, uh, present films like a Lizard in Women in a Woman's Skin, like if you've never seen that movie, like oh, yeah. that is such a dream logic, but beautifully shot. But you know, you you yeah. leave that film going. 
what exactly happened? I'm not 100%, but I know I enjoy the hell out of it. And so, like, he he is, he's not known for that kind of filmmaking, but he's he is very, he can do it. And he can, you know, he can... He can make movies of all types of genres, as far as I'm concerned. But he is capable of making movies that have that kind of visual style. But I don't think he's often, you know, he's more known for like a zombie fighting a shark or, you know, a woman getting her eyeball gouged, you know, things like that. So that's what he's known for. But he's very capable of making a movie like this. And yeah, I'm so glad you guys enjoyed it. And I'm so glad Chris is struggling with just the, just the effect, (laughs) just the effect of this movie has got him. You know, I I felt the same way the first time I saw it. I was like, what? It's, it's like if they, if they had, I don't know if you ever watched twin peaks, all both seasons, both seasons to, to the end, to the end on TV. Like it's this movie would be the movie they show at movie night at the Black Lodge. That's yep. and that and and it's just I'll use the world word otherworldly continually because that's the word that comes to mind. And it's so it's so fascinating how they create this this otherworldly environment that feels entirely cohesive within itself. I should say a couple things, just the film stars Andrea Acapinti. Jorge Rivaro, Conrado San Martin, and Sabrina Sani, who we previously saw in another Italian uh, uh, sword and sorcery film, Ator the Fighting Eagle, but you might not recognize her because she has a mask on nearly the whole time in this film and not much else. Um, and we, we, Ator, like Cator. Oh, God, again. I... <laughs> We cut nothing. We cut nothing. <laughs> the score for this movie is incredible. That's another like. There's uh, Claudio Simonetti, who was worked on numerous films with Dario Argento, member of Goblin, uh, and and it just adds to it. Like it's this otherworldly quality. One of his first scores that he did on his own. Uh, th- this one, yeah. Claudio Simonetti, and and it's funny. I I I had a book. I have this uh, book on called Spaghetti Nightmares, and uh, he talks. Cla- Fulci talks briefly about Conquest, and they said, uh, "How did you get uh, on working with Claudio Simonetti?" And he says, "I never met him. I just checked the work my editor had done on <laughs> at the end because the court case was in progress because he was getting sued. He was supposed to make two films for the producer." Um, uh, De Clemente. Right. And uh, this was supposed to be the first. And he, as soon as he finished this one, I love this story for this reason. He, he's, as soon as he finished this one, he was like, nah, I don't want to make another movie with you. So this producer sues Fulci. They go to court, but the court, this is a clearly Italian court. Uh, the Italian court says, hey, if, he, if Fulci doesn't want to make the movie, he doesn't have to be. He doesn't have to be forced to. And so Fulci wins the court case. I was like, <laughs> wow, Italy. That's amazing. That is would never like Fulci would have suffered mightily in American courts. <laughs> oh, he would have, he would have lost that case. No, it's we are introduced to Akron, a woman of great power and evil who claims to rule the sun and have the power to make night into day and without her it would be eternal darkness. And Akron is dressed in only a gold mask and a spiked thong. So right off the bat this is the second film we have today with with significant female nudity, but it's very different here from In Sorceress. A very different. Yeah, I don't I don't see the nudity in this one honestly as being very titillating. 
it's not like no it's not it's a choice certainly but it's not really like sexy and it's not knowingly doing it like you know we all are in a contra verbal non-verbal contract here between the director and the audience like sorceress who is like I'm giving you some nudity, some pretty ladies. You know this. I know this. It's not that kind of thing. It's she's actually still pretty effectively creepy and strange yes. as a villain, despite the fact that she's totally nude for the entire film. It's not something yeah, that's like, yeah, no. Oh, this is kind of a sexy bad guy. It's like, no, this is actually still pretty gross. This I have to give it hand it to the mask is still terrific. And does a, a great job of sort of making it all very weird. I, I, here's how weird this movie is and wonderful. Weird and wonderful. I am not sure whether Akron soldiers are supposed to be dressed as wolves or are supposed to be actual werewolves. I'm still unsure, but I don't care. Like, I don't care that I'm unsure. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite of me being disappointed by the bird god. Or the lack thereof. Yeah, the dog people in this are sort of the sorceress monkey. Where like yeah. I, I like I love it though it's it's a better design it's not quite as cheap looking but it's still fairly ridiculous but I'm like um but I'm on board like you know I'm like okay yeah. this is this is odd but I'm on board not until the very very end of the movie do you go oh okay I can see some correlation now but before it was just like what's yeah. up with all these dog people this doesn't make any sense yeah. but I'm I love it well and this is. Uh... This is the fever dream kind of aspect of this, but he it's sold by Fulci because, mm-hmm. I mean, it, just to talk about some things, when you're introduced to a lot of these weird elements at the top, like he's using like telephoto lens to flatten stuff out. He's doing like yeah. silhouettes. I mean, half the time it looks like like an ancient cave painting that's starting to come to life, which is just a much different yeah. context for this stuff. Um, and that's part of the, it doesn't make the nudity feel like it's, uh, titillating because he's not framing it that way. He's not framing the characters this way. Um, and that just, I think helps sell these costumes also where he's not going in for bad angles or ill-advised close-ups on these things. Um, he's, he's treating it this way and he'll do that with a lot of the, shall we say, odd, fantastic elements because this, this movie has a lot of them. It does. It really does. And, 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 you know, like the, the, the tribe, the, the prehistoric people that we see here, they're not like, oh, it feels like something out of Conan. It feels like something out of Quest for Fire. Like it, it, it has got that, that there's a very distinct, like, the, these are the people who, who created the cave drawings that we would eventually find millennia later. Like it, it really feel, has that feeling. And it's entirely, it feels all t- uh, entirely authentic to the world it creates. Uh, and it's it's incredible that way. Yeah, I think it takes <clears throat> a big, big advantage. And one of the bigger, uh, one of the advantages to this movie and the differences between this and Sorceress is Sorceress is, even though it's shot somewhat outside, it's mostly done on sets or clearly in areas where mm-hmm. they had kind of prefabbed like huts or things like that, even outside. <clears throat> Whereas this one took place on an island um, I think Sardinia yeah. is the name of the island, which is a fairly like, I think mostly somewhat untouched or at least had sections of it at the time that were like mostly untouched by, you know, a man or progress or, you know, building beachside resorts. So they took advantage of like this really excellent, you know, they got this excellent set, more or less. They got this great production value just out of you shooting it on Sardinia. And it made gave it this like beautiful quality when they use the different areas of the island to kind of fill in for parts of the world. Cause it feels vast 
you know, whereas in other films yeah. it doesn't because you're so confined to the sets. This felt like you, you saw long landscapes and you see uh, vistas. It's shot even in ways I felt like <clears throat> it shot more like a Western in many ways. Yeah, It has that kind of sensibility to it, you know, where he's really utilizing the environment to his advantage. And and there are moments in this movie of extreme violence. And, and there are some that are sort of pure, it's pure Fulci. Like there, mm. there's... Like there's a moment where a woman literally gets torn in two, and I'm just like watching it, and I'm like, "Holy shit! I think Akron's gonna eat her brain." Oh, Akron's gonna eat her brain, and and sure enough, that's what happened. You have this bright red blood of like the '70s Giallo blood. It's so, it's mm-hmm. so evocative, and it's it makes for all these pieces for this strange concoction that is uh, it, it, it's so fascinating. And it, it has that wonderful uh, Italian. Uh, it has that Italian style where like, as soon as any blood shows up, it's like the camera like pushes right in. Like that's where it's like, oh, yeah. you know, in American movies, you'll see the effect and they'll film it sort of flatly. But Italians were always like, no, 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 no. We're going to have this effect. Get in there, get in there and let's see it. Yeah. So as soon as like he bashes a guard in the face and blood starts coming out of his like helmet, that's when they're like, they push right in and they're like, yeah, no, no, no. Let's, let's get all of that blood as close up as we can. Because that's very much in the Italian style, and and it's it's awesome. I love that. Akron goes into this drug induced trance where she sees a vision of a faceless man with a bow attacking her, and it's as a consequence to this that she sends her warriors out to find the man with the bow, and and they attack Ilias. I, I should say they spend a lot of time on the drug sequence itself, where it's like it goes like you know like it's it's not there's a ritual element to this. That is just is totally fascinating, and um, you know, she sends her 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 guys out to go find Ilias because she's like the guy find the guy with the bow, and he is quickly saved by Mace, an outlaw who claims to be without friends, but rather quickly makes friends with Ilias. It's and their relationship at the heart of this is fascinating and and great. This one has a little bit of that kind of reluctant. Like I'm not really trying to get involved in lots of these issues. But our friendship keeps drawing me back into the situation. And, you know, you could make a joke that it's sort of about uh, like an older guy having to take care of this stupid ass kid who keeps getting himself in trouble that he can't deal with. But then, you know, uh, Ilias also kind of saves him at a certain point, too. So it's like there there really is a nice friendship that's there, even even through, you know, the fact that this is dubbed and we're not getting the original actors voices. Um, Jorge Rivera can speak very good English, but he did not. He he actually made a movie. He made what? Real Lobo. He he made with uh, with John Wayne. So he was oh. not unfamiliar with acting in English, and certainly he was. They, they all were, but they were speaking in English, but knowing they were going to be dubbed over later. Um, but his co-star was more of Italian, so he was you know being from Mexico, he was able to somewhat understand all the Italian. But like, I think that their friendship really shines through, despite the fact that they're getting dubbed over later by by guys that dubbed a lot of the Italian movies and it I think it really works. Yeah, it and and it it's it's really interesting and and I should put I'm going to put in our requisite spoiler warnings because this is a movie where there are things that happen that are genuinely surprising. So if 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 you want to to go into conquest without uh, preconceptions and I and I highly recommend you do. Again, hit pause. We'll always be here. 
we're always here. You can come back for us anytime. But it, it's so it's the, the but we're gonna have to talk about these because it's it's so key to the film. Um, yeah, uh, uh, Ilias and and Mace meet up with a group of cave dwellers, and there's a young girl there who Ilias had encountered briefly before. And there's some sparks. I you know I noticed some sparks right there, and then yeah. I was shocked when holy shit, she's killed instantly by Akron's warriors, and I just kind of In a like vicious, vicious manner, <laughs> like a very Fulci death. Yeah, vicious manner, and I'm just like my jaw dropped. I'm like, that's not the way these these movies work. And it's very, it's like, there are moments in this movie that are so shocking, not just for the the, the violence or, or the viciousness, but for this is not how these stories usually work. And they are throwing out the playbook and going to their own. Yeah. And this, uh, in the cave, you get red and gel lights, uh, just in case you yeah. missed that it was a Fulci movie. Uh, he's going to put that into the cave for you so that you know for certain. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, this is uh, you know the even like the cave eating when they're eating the uh yeah. the animal before before she gets killed that night, um, it's just so there's like this weird like animalistic ritualistic it, it almost feels sexual the way they're ripping into the animal and eating it, um, but not in a sorceress kind of way and not 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 in a Conan kind of way either, um, it's just it's such a it's such a, this really is a turning point where if you thought you knew where this movie was going to go, it, you, at this point, will know. Just sit back. I Thinking about this movie, I think there's a comparison to be made uh, to the films of, of another filmmaker, Robert Eggers, who did The Witch, did The Lighthouse, and The Northman. And in all of his films, he creates a reality that is mm-hmm. both otherworldly and yet totally believable within itself. And I think Conquest does the same thing. I wonder if Robert Eggers is a, a fan of this film because I feel like it it, it feels like it's a piece to his films. Um, and and the, the characters of this world absolutely inhabit it uh, believably. And when then, as a consequence, when things happen to him, it doesn't feel like we're ticking off the boxes of, of, of we're, we're going to knock off a... Hey, Conan did this, so let's do the same thing. It is very much its own beast, and and beautifully so. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, too, if Robert Eggers had seen this, but I know, I I have to think, I'm almost 100% positive that Craig Zoller saw Conquest, because the bone tomahawk uh, uh, things that come from this, including, like, the way that the people are, they have their faces painted, the, like, splitting open of a person, I was like, this... This was clearly an influence on Bone, Bone Tomahawk. I think almost certainly this was, and you know, but, but yes, you're right. It does have that. And I think, again, I think the environment really helps. They found a really cool environment and it feels like a really lived in world, which is where a lot of these kinds of movies trip on themselves a little bit because they're not able to sort of create that. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, Milius did it with Conan very successfully, but not everybody had the kind of money to spend that he did on that film. Now here's a a lower budget film, but, but the way they create this sort of completely consistent world, uh, it's a real achievement. This movie is a real achievement. Um, so Akron, you know, Akron's soldiers fail to capture, uh, Ilias. And, and as a consequence, she tortures one of her own warriors on what looks to be a giant cooking stone. And I really, uh, I, I thought that was, I just thought that was fantastic. And she calls <laughs> upon the great Zora, 
this spirit who either she worships or is in league with, it's unclear. Um, he is entirely in, encased in armor. We don't see his face at all. Uh, and she offers herself to Zora in exchange for his help. I, I should add, by the way, that there is something sexual going on with Akron and her snakes because they are all over her. And, 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 and there's a, there's just a, there's a sexual component. It's not necessarily sexy, but there's, there's clearly stuff going on. Um, Ilias decides he has to rid the world of Akron, but Mace will only take him as far as the edge of the sea. And on the journey there, they're attacked in the scene by like hundreds of little arrows and Ilias is hit and he has boils break out over his body. And I should mention to anybody who's squeamish, this is a movie of bodily fluids. Absolutely. Uh, and I love in that, in, as the, the arrows are firing out of the shrubbery, the effect that they have on Zora's voice in that yeah. in that sequence is just really cool. Uh, great part of the sound design in this in this movie, which I think I want to say that this there may be no score otherwise because it's they're kind of quiet yeah. there. I can't quite remember. Yeah, at that moment. Yeah, I think you I think you might be right. Oh, um, yeah, and and the boils, again, are stuff that is, like, that's, again, something I feel like is a little bit like the beyond, where he's, like, instead of just showing you them from afar, it's like, no, 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 we're going to get up close and personal with these oozing boils that are on this guy. We're not going to let you look away. We're not going to let you go, oh, that looks kind of yeah. gross. No, we're going to get right up into it because that's Fulci style, you know. Yeah, and but it's and it's all part of the world. Like it didn't usually. I'm I'm not the I'm I'm a little squeamish sometimes, and and it was just like it's this is part of the world that I've I've committed to. Uh, Mace goes in search of plants that will heal Ilias, and along the way uh, he encounters zombies because it is a Fulci film, so therefore. Zombies are in fact required, and it's great. Like it's that fight is worth the price of admission alone. Oh, that fight like, is the incredible. zombies leading into the mace versus mace. I mean, if if this film had nothing else to offer, I would recommend it just based on that sequence alone. The, the that scene in particular is 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 aided by the fact that again he he shoots into the sun a whole lot. So when you have uh, yeah Jorge Rivera you know, fighting whoever the stuntman is who's dressed up as his character as well. You don't really see that it's too, you know, cause there's no camera trickery. You see the two of them and you're like, Oh, it looks good. But it's also cause there's a sunlight behind them. And if you hadn't shot a lot of the movie that way, it would feel jarring, but because you have shot right. that way, it doesn't feel out of place or weird. And then the way that whole sequence is edited, it's so excellently edited. How they go back and forth though. Granted, you don't truly know which one is a doppelganger and which one isn't until the end, but it, yeah. you know, they don't seem to be worried about like, you knowing that information, that's not important to them, but uh, a Trofolci, I, I wish I should say. And, uh, but, but yeah, that se- sequence is really good. It's a great little fight and they actually do such a good job with it because they shoot it in that sun drenched way that you kind of can't really see yeah. like where they're, cause they're not, they're not, they're not shooting this for money. And they're not shooting this where they're having Jorge Rivera on one side of the camera and it's locked off and then they're going to shoot him from the other way and just blend them together. They're not doing it that way. This is two guys fighting each other. So, like, it actually was really, like, it's it's a great lesson of how you can do a lot of this stuff in camera and actually do it by the way he he just planned out shooting the entire film to cover some of these moments. It's, it's really remarkable. It really is. It really is. 
Um, upon being cured of his boils, Ilias decides he's had enough of all this and he's going to go home. And and uh, listen, I knew that at some point he was going to turn around, but nevertheless, I was pretty torn up about Ilias leaving. I was like, I, I, I was genuinely upset by it. Yeah, and it's at this point, he's kind of the hero. But again, that's kind what's of. interesting with this movie. It's yes. kind of... Who is the guy that we're we're rooting for both of them, but who is the actual hero of this film? Well, we start the picture with Ilias, so there's 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 that that thing where you think, well, okay, we start the picture with Ilias, we're gonna finish the picture with Ilias, and and it's well, we'll get to that in a, in, in a bit. It, uh, Mace is captured like there's there's this Mace is captured by a strange group of creatures that look like they might have been on a seventies uh, episode of Doctor Who. Um, he's yes. crucified. <laughs> Yeah, it really does, and I don't even mean that in a bad yeah. way because I love seventies no. Doctor Who, and and but they feel like they could have been out of Tom Baker. Yeah, I mean they've got that like the cobwebs on them almost, yeah. and they're like I, I called them rock hags. I don't know that that's yeah. what they are, but they mm-hmm. look kind of yeah, yeah. yeah they're like they they seem like people that are made out of like um, spider webs and stuff, and so and yet. That, there's another thing about Fulci's movies where he doesn't particularly supervise the dubbing of them. Interesting. And the sound of those creatures, I think, the way their their voices, I think, are so crucial to the pulling off of that makeup, which I think is great. Like the way they created those creatures are great, but their voice, which has this sort of oh, very yeah. tinny sort of, I don't know, echoey is not quite the right word, but it has this very like high tinny uh, scream like quality to them where they're talking to them. I think that adds so much to those characters. And Fulci, once he like got to editing, the editor did the editing. When it comes to like you know supervising all the dubbing and all that stuff, he had nothing to do with that, especially the English, because he didn't speak very good English, so he doesn't get involved in that kind of shit. So that was just like they. I was like, well done on that voice choice. It's such a perfect choice yeah. for those characters. I loved them. Yeah, they have a little bit of a similarity to the to the bird people from Beastmaster, like that that are on the the mm-hmm. top of the ledge. Like they they feel akin to that, uh, you know, in in a in a great way, like in a in a, in a really unsettling way. Um, Mace is crucified, um, which uh, again we've seen that in 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 Conan and Talon from the Sword and the Sorcerer, uh, as well as mm. you know. Uh, well, other people have been crucified. We're going to get to, I'm going to get to that because I have a theory <laughs> about this movie. Um, oh. And, and still on the cross, he falls into the sea and is rescued by dolphins, which is a, a great, like, uh, like uh, Ilias comes back and he saves him, but, but the cross falls into the sea and then you get the rescue by the dolphins, which is amazing. Yeah, another zombie like kind of reference in a way, you know, like just the, the shark and the zombie, but this one's now like a two... I mean, the way he's blending clearly like footage of dolphins into the dolphins saving him, it honestly just loved it. I love that he gets saved. I love that he gets pushed Absolutely. and falls into the water and is going to drown, but he's yeah. saved by dolphins. Incredible, incredible stuff to do on like a nothing budget, you know, that he did. In fact, a budget yeah. that the producer told them a week before they were finished, told them that they he would not pay for any more of the movie. And that they were done. Oh my god! And Fulci had to rally the entire production and say they want to have a stop, but I, we all need to tell him no. We're going to continue again. Another amazing aspect of Italian movies that everyone said, <laughs> "Yeah, no, nope, we're going to continue making the movie despite the fact the producer said no more money." I would say that would be a done oh deal god. in the United States. You would be just finished, and you'd have to cobble <laughs> something together out of what you shot. But Fulci said, "Nope, we're going to keep shooting." God bless him. God bless <laughs> Lucio Fulci. 
<laughs> All right. So soon after this, it, it, what happens next? Now we're gonna again. I kind of reiterate my spoiler warning because there are. This is a moment of like pure cinema here. We're gonna talk about it soon afterwards. Ilya is sucked underground, and Mace follows, and he finds Ilias hanging upside down with his head cut off. And Zora mm-hmm. then brings Ilias's head and bow to Akron. And again, talk about moments where my jaw hit the floor. Because the whole film, you're set up to Ilias the hero and Mace as a kind of sidekick mentor. And I figured, I actually figured that at some point Mace was going to give his life for Ilias, and that's his journey. But the movie tricks you. And the roles are reversed. And I, I, I got to be honest, I absolutely did not see it coming. It blew me away. Um, and this, it overturned the apple cart in a way that I thought was amazing. You get that nice little bit where Mace, uh, you know, burns Ilias's body in the funeral pyre, yeah. which is very, uh, I mean, just very beautiful, you know, just to look at, um, but also disturbing because uh it is Fulci so you do get to see some close up on some uh melting almost kind of Raiders of the Lost Ark style uh a little different but uh yeah so it's it's both an unsettling and sweet moment it's very uh yeah. unusual in that way yeah taking his spirit and sort of taking his spirit and finishing his journey for him as a hero's journey you would think to your point uh Chris that normally it would be the young guy learning from the older you know, older guy learning some lessons, the older guy dies and the young guy has to like rise to the occasion and really become the hero he was meant to be or whatever. This movie said, we don't care about that story. You can see that tons of other places. We don't give a shit. I also wanted to throw a shout out too, because that scene where they bring in the head, the camera once again does not shy from showing you the head and the head looks terrific. (laughs) It is like oftentimes in a movie like that, when you see somebody's, and you see somebody's head, which they have clearly done a, like a face cast and they've recreated a head and it looks like shit. It looks like garbage. So they're going to show it as quickly as humanly possible. And in this one, they carry that head and the camera stays focused on it. They put it down on a stone. They go right into it and it looks fantastic. It's amazing. And then it opens its eyes and like uh, just, you know, you've slayed his body, but not his soul. And and it's mm-hmm. Mace who then takes on Akron and his warriors and defeats them. The arrow of light, like it uses the arrows of light and, and the arrow of light pierces Akron's mask and reveals her to be hideous and deformed. Obviously, she had gone to the same beauty regimen as as the witches from Beastmaster because she is, <laughs> she is you know, everything but the face. But and, 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 and then we have this strange, ambiguous ending where Mace is victorious, but alone. And Akron transforms into a wolf and runs off with the white wolf that's Zora. So it's it's this. I I'm absolutely fascinated by this film. Uh, I thought the switch of protagonists at the, the sort of the eleventh hour is a, mm-hmm. a, a, a friggin' cinematic is a piece of cinematic brilliance. And I, I thought about it again. Like this, I watched this movie this week I, earlier this week. I've had a few days for it to sit with me, and I haven't been able to get it out of my head. I think, and this is, you know, this I would love to know this for, in a sense, I think Conquest takes inspiration from the story of John the Baptist. 
You know, he's the one who paves the way for the coming of Jesus and has his head cut off uh, on the order of a woman. Spoilers for the New Testament, by the way. Yeah, but I'm on. I'm just on Mark. You're really destroying the New Testament for me. <laughs> um, but you know, John the Baptist has his head cut off uh, on the on the order of Salome, and I feel like Ilias is a John the Baptist character. But like, but you are set up to think that he's the main character when it's not it's he is the one who must pave the way and anoint the 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 person who is is the true savior um and you combine that with the, this movie's haunting otherworld quality it is fascinating i mean i totally agree which is why i picked it and i'm so glad that you had that you had this reaction to it because my brother, I think my brother saw it. We talked about it on a bonus episode on our show where we were just talking about things we watched and he watched it and was blown away by it. And so I had purchased the Blu-ray. And so I was like, well, I got to, well, I'll just have to check this out. I watched it. I was like, similarly, like, this is terrific. This is really, I think, I think it's interesting. The The, the commentary on the disc is done by uh, uh, Troy Howard, I believe, who wrote the, literally wrote a book about Fulci and wrote about uh, Italian cinema in general. And um, he's like, this is a great movie and they both really love it, but they're like, it's not like one of an underseen, you know, classic or something of Phil Cheese. And I'm like, I, I disagree. I kind of feel this is an underseen masterpiece by Fulci. I think this is a really terrific film from start to finish. It does not go anywhere you expect. It's very surprising. No. This is the movie where if you had something in your and your mind that, the God was going to be at the end and it didn't turn out to be that, but it didn't turn out to be that in a way that surprised you and delighted you. It it does things that you just don't expect. As Rob was saying, you have to kind of let go at a certain point and go, I don't know what's going to happen. I have no clue how this film yeah. is going to work out. And it's so fun for that reason. It's so fun. It's so rewatchable. It's so interesting. And I, I, I just think it, it was, I, you know, he, he really killed it on this one. I feel like. Yeah, the direction is top notch. Uh, I mean, the visual style, the 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 costume, the makeup design, the production design, it all in this movie is works so well together. It is not, you know, something that at least to my eyes, it doesn't look like Fulci tossed this off uh, at all. No. And uh, you know, it just has a lot of the hallmarks of his, you know, whatever is going on in his brain. Uh, you are going to get. <laughs> Uh, three helpings of it and and then some in this one. Um, and it's, uh, I also love how prominent at the end, uh, once the credits roll, it, it's super prominent. It, it's, it's something you see in a lot of movies, but it felt very odd in this one that they actually have the warning. I wrote it down that uh, uh, <clears throat> it says any reference to persons or events is purely coincidental. And I'm like, what world are you living in, Fulci? <laughs> I hope this doesn't resemble anything in the world that I live in, because I'm terrified if it right. does. Who, who watched who watched this movie and said, whoa, that's my story. You took my life story. What the hell? Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's Nana. me up there. I know. I'm Mace. Yeah, right. <laughs> Chris is how Grandma grew up. <laughs> She loves snakes. She always wore a scary gold mask. <laughs> this is grandma. And nothing else. Yeah. Then eventually she turned into a dog. This is her story. I can't believe you stole it. <laughs> Copyright laws in Italy are a lot more flexible 
than here. Well, you yeah, know, like apparently it, the courts in general very relaxed. You know, it's, it's a lot. There's a lot of beautiful sunshine <laughs> yeah, to get out there and enjoy. You don't want to fill, fulfill your contract. That's okay. No, hey, you don't want to do you. the work. You don't have to do you. the work. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, unfortunately, this movie did not do great at the box office, and, and it's no. it's so specific. I, I understand why. It's uh, apparently it made less than a hundred million lira. I have no idea what that translates to in 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 the lira of two thousand twenty three, or frankly euros or U.S. dollars. But apparently, it, it was not a box office hit. I will say that apparently the original title of the movie was Mace the Outlaw. Which really might have given the film's twist away, although still not as much as "You're the Hunter from the Future," which is right there. God bless "You're the Hunter from the Future." Um, yeah, and and we found it when we've paired these movies, the pairing of these movies was so great because because in some ways they're both movies that subvert expectations, but in very different ways. I'm still I'm still a little mm-hmm. angry. I didn't get my bird god. But nothing in Conquest was what I expected, and yet I am, I am filled. I'm, I am filled by it because it is. It's just so. It's so fascinating and wonderful. Yeah, I'm so glad you let me talk about these two because this is this is I to me this is such a delightful pairing because you're right. You know, Sorceress is such like the silly side of Conquest, and 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 to even say that yeah. they're similar in any way, which they're really not, but outside of the genre. But um, but and and conquest is such a hey I don't know how much Fulci wanted he clearly didn't make another sword and sorcery movie I, he hadn't hadn't made one before as far as I know so this is just his go at it and he threw everything into this it feels like um, where you know certainly sorceress was uh, going to be dependent upon Corman fulfilling his promise to create some great effects and it doesn't have that but what it does have is pretty amazing in and of itself so like um so yeah they're they're to me they're interesting contrasts and uh i i agree with you i'm so glad that we got to talk about these two because i just think they're both a blast in their own ways absolutely uh, and I think that that probably brings us to the end of today's episode. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you know, we, it's always a delight to have you on. And uh, can you tell the folks at home where they can find New World Pictures out there, New World Pictures podcast out there? It's, uh, you know, I know you're on, you know, every podcast platform that there is. Sure. And, uh, and sure. various social medias because we interact on social all the time. Absolutely. Yes. And you can find us on Twitter and and, uh, Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. But you can go to our website, newworldpicturespodcast.com. That's where you can find us. You can find all of our episodes. You can find our merch as well, like our T-shirts and so on. Yeah, Um, I got to get some New World Pictures podcast merch. I absolutely do. We have, uh, you know, we have pictures or have T-shirts and stuff like that you can get of our logo. But you can also we have uh, designed specifically out of things that we talked about in certain episodes, such as the T-shirt I'm wearing, um, which came from our Warlock episode. Uh, And so we we think they're really fun and funny. And so we were like, let's have these T-shirts. We always talked about it. And finally, we're coming out with uh, some design. So hopefully, even if you don't know the episode, you might see some T-shirt designs that you really like. Um, and, uh, but yeah, you can find us on our website. We're eventually going to start adding, um, articles to that and interviews as well to the website. So we're going to have content there as well that we're going to be sharing outside of the, uh, episodes that we, we do as well. So check us out there and then you can, yeah, listen to us on any podcast platform. I'm sure you're 
whatever one's your favorite, we're, we should be there. And I would highly recommend uh, our listeners uh, download the Warlock episode because it is a yes. fantastic one. Uh, and also a fantastic film, uh, in yes. my estimation. We hope everyone out there enjoyed the show. Please come back next week when we'll be discussing two sword and sorcery films from two very interesting filmmakers, Matt Simber's 1983 film, Hundra, which presents a very different vision of the warrior woman than that which we saw in Sorceress, as well as the animated adventure, Fire and Ice, from Ralph Bakshi and Frank Frazetta. We thank you so much for listening. Again, we are your hosts, Chris Iannacone and Rob Lamorges. If you've enjoyed listening to the show, please consider subscribing and following us on Twitter and Instagram at GetMeAnotherPod. And if you like the show, tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell that weird naked chick with the gold mask, because hopefully she'll listen. And join us next time as we continue to explore what happens when Hollywood says, Get Me Another. (laughs) 